Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, begins a new series on experiencing the presence of God. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do that on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. start a new series, Experiencing God. Here's my question. You can predict it. Do you want to experience God? Oh, Lord, you don't with that. (laughs) Do you want to experience God? I mean, some of us have been just stumbling along in faith or what we call faith We're complacent, we're sort of tired, we're lazy, we don't have any energy, we're stuck in bad habits, maybe in addictions, and we think, how can this be knowing God? I mean, don't you ask that question? How can I know God and and yet have so little energy for God? Is that fair? Y'all just intimidated by the question or what? That's right. Is it fair to ask it? That's my question. Our first message is entitled, A God-Centered Life. And if you want to live continually experiencing the presence of God, as the last song said, leaning on the everlasting arms, you're going to have to seek to live a God-centered life. Who thinks that'll be easy? Who thinks that requires nothing? No, it requires effort because it requires effort to maintain any relationship, much less a relationship with God. You see, the problem and the reason that it's so difficult is that we don't tend just naturally to live God-centered. We usually live what-centered? Self-centered. And there's not room to do both. We're either going to choose to live self-centered and be attached to this world and everything that affects us, or we're going to live God-centered because that will be our perspective on life. That'll be how we interpret the, the circumstances and the situations we live in. Our theme verse today, if you'll take out your program, is John 10.10. 10. And it's on top of your program. The first two panels are your outline if you're new here. The Living Bible translation of John 10.10 says, My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. The New Living says, My purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. Does that describe your life? If you're honest, a full life, a rich and satisfying life, are you just sort of bored making it step by step, but it's really not that thrilling, not that exciting. It's really kind of grueling at times. How can we know God and live 
such mundane lives. Don't you wonder that? Do you believe God is real? Oh, no, y'all got to do better than that. Do you believe God is real? Because look what you just, I asked you if you believe the God of the universe, the creator is real. Here's the next one. Are you convinced that don't, don't lie in church. Are you convinced God wants to play an active role in your life? I like that. Totally. Here's the next question. Will you take steps to facilitate that happening in your life? I mean, let's just be honest. Who's sick of their spiritual life? We got a few courageous people. Some of y'all are just afraid. You realize you're weak. You're, you know, you, you've got these habits, these addictions. You're always mad. You're always down. You're always upset with God or upset with somebody else. That doesn't make sense if God's real, does it? How can we live such meager lives if the God of the universe is intimately connected to us. Now, some of these steps, you've got to do it. I'm asking you to take part in this series. Well, Perry, you think then this eight-week series is going to change my life? No. I think if your life is changed, it'll be God changing it. Not Perry's sermons. Not even wonderful music. It's going to be an interaction with the almighty God individually penetrating your life. But what we're going to do is give you an opportunity to stand still so God can encounter you. Buy a workbook. Well, I mean, that's 10 bucks. How many times did you buy Starbucks last week? Five dollars of coffee. Now, y'all don't want to hear this, but that coffee's not that good. Now, it might be better than the free stuff we serve you here. (laughs) Buy a book. If you truly can't afford it, say, David will pay. And and I I mean that sincerely. I mean that sincerely. If you truly don't have the $10, Say, you know what? I can't afford it right now. And they'll charge it to David Hardy. Attend services. Folks, some of y'all get up in the morning. If you got any kind of backache or there might be something on TV or you stayed out late at the game last night, you just blow it off. You're going to have to take some steps. You're going to have to say, this matters. And say, well, Perry, he's not that good anyway. It isn't about Perry. The question, the issue is, are you showing up to meet God? Does that matter to you? Are you motivated to meet God? That's the issue. Pray. If God's real, if you believe God's real, you will pray. If you don't pray, you really don't believe God's real. We pray at 8.15, Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. I want to ask you, if you say, you know what? I'm tired of myself. 
I'm sick of my spiritual self. I'm I'm gonna show up and ask God to do something to me. You don't have to come for eight weeks. Come next week, 815. Get in a group. Well, I don't like other people. Well, that really will help you grow. (laughs) Get in a group of people you can't stand. Then that gives you the chance for God to work in you and through you. Get in a group. David told you how to sign up. I'll repeat it at the end, but you can get a brochure out there. You can go online. You can send an email, and someone will help you. Those of you who have children, listen, we're, we're doing experiencing God from birth all the way up. This is the workbook for children in grades one through four. There's also, they'll, they'll do the same themes even in the preschoolers. There's also a high school workbook. Involve your kids and, and talk with them. What if your child comes to know God at five, at seven, at 10, and knows that God is interested in him and will talk with him? How different will that child's life be? Some of us stumbled into God at, in our 20s and we'd already made a lot of mistakes. Let's make a difference. Let's make a difference. So do you want to encounter God? Do you want to be able to hear his voice? Let me tell you this. Now, I know this. When I say hear God, I know some of you go, I don't believe that. I used to not believe it either. Today, I am certain if you are God's child, he not only wants to speak to you, he will speak to you. I'm not saying it's completely easy to hear. It may take some practice. It may take some healing. It may take some effort. But God will speak with you. And you can know his will. And you can follow it. And you know what? You'll have some direction for your life that will produce peace and hope and joy. And you've discovered that cannot be found through more purchases or based on what your team did last night. So let's pursue a God-centered life, which results from knowing God by experience. And here's the workbook that we're selling, and they're they're for sale out there. The ancient Hebrews believed that you can't know something without experiencing. The Greeks, the Greeks were more philosophical, more cognitive. So they, they associated knowing with grasping intellectually. But the problem is relationships don't happen because you grasp information. Relationships only happen experientially. So this principle is more true about knowing people than it is knowing subject matter. God is a person. He can be known. He must be known. I mean, you can come to church, you can hear preaching, you can go to Sunday school or Bible study, and you can gain some familiarity with God. But you don't know Him. Because knowing God happens individually. It happens personally. It happens experientially. It's the only way a relationship happens. 
And it's the only way change happens in your life. John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Eternal life results from a relationship with God that begins after you're born again by the Holy Spirit. What's some other words for born again? Some other synonyms. Saved is true. Louder. Born again, regenerated, born from above. Those are all, y'all get some, give out some stars, David, wherever you given spiritual life. All of those are synonyms, but it happens at a point in time. Now that doesn't mean that you can pinpoint exactly because it may have felt progressive to you by experience, but it happens in a point of time. And this experience starts a spiritual life within you, but it enables you to know God. John 3, read the whole chapter, but John 3, 1 through 21 talks about being born again. How can this happen? And we don't come to know God spiritually by gaining information. See, just, just memorizing information is still on the human side, but salvation isn't human. It's supernatural. So something doesn't happen by you. Something happens to you. Do you remember when it happened to you? And it leaves you changed. You cannot deny it. So you can learn a lot of facts theologically and then somebody else will convince you of something else or tell you it's not true and you'll walk away from that. But you don't forget what happened to you. You know what? I I have two daughters. One of them I caught. The other one I cut the cord on. Nobody could ever tell me I don't have two young women in this world. Birth happened. And it happened to me. When you're born again, no one can talk you out of that. So we don't, we we, we gain information and I study, I prepare, I want to have something fresh to give you, but it's not sufficient. What I teach you on Sunday is not sufficient. Bible studies are not sufficient. Church programs are not sufficient without experiencing God personally. Does that make sense? Then the spirit in you enables you to discern this truth. You know what I'm talking about? When you know something is true, no one can talk you out of it. When you know something is true, it alters you. It controls how you respond. You hear me? You believe that? Jay, you own this? (laughs) So let's understand this. When we know something is true, we're different. We're different. Spiritual practices are great. Baptism, Lord's Supper, worship participation, serving, mission trips, all those things, other church involvements are all wonderful, appropriate, sincere responses to a relationship with God. They do not create a relationship with God. They cannot replace a relationship with God. 
Now Moses, we're gonna look at Moses really throughout this series, but we could use Abraham, we could use Paul, we could use David, but we wanna see how God works with individuals. In fact, the Bible was written to give us lots of examples for how God works with people so that we can recognize when he's working with us. Moses' introduction illustrates knowing God by experience. Okay, now Moses, when he, when he encountered the, you know, I'm going to the burning bush, who was he working for? His father-in-law, whose name was? Jethro, Jethro not Bodine, but Jethro. <laughs> and what task was Moses carrying out? Yeah, herding sheep, tending sheep. Out in the wilderness, and he encountered God in a burning bush. Exodus chapter three. It'll be on the screen, but it's on... It's in Exodus chapter 3, and I'll begin reading on page 48. Now, we're going to start at verse 5, but I want to back up a little bit. There's an intro in the first couple of verses, and he was tending sheep for Jethro. And then in verse 2, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle of, the bush, of a bush. Who is the angel of the Lord? Y'all get quiet when you don't know. Come on, who's the angel of the Lord? Jesus, Jesus is. Now you say, well, wait a minute, this is Old Testament. That's right. We believe in a trinity. The angel of the Lord. Now there's some debate about it, but it, it's, it actually could be that Jesus personally was in that bush. But, but then it talks about God. That's right. We believe in a trinity. And so God, in the person of the angel of the Lord, said at verse 5, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I think it's very common when we first truly encountered Christ that we recognized. What did you recognize Anybody have an experience? Dirty, somebody said, I think. Unworthiness. It's quite common. Yours might have been a little different, but it's quite common that when we first experience the presence of God, what we feel is unworthiness. And he says, he's, Moses, take off your shoes you're coming near God and this is holy ground. In other words, you don't just presume into my presence. You see it? Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he's setting the identity. He said, okay, I'm the God speaking that you have familiarity with. I'm the God that communicated with the patriarchs of Israel. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. That's not an unusual experience when we first encounter God, to, to turn away. Because we recognize the distance, the unworthiness between us and God. You know, this, this gosh, this modern day American idea that God is just your pal it's not an understanding of who God is. 
Now, I'm going to teach you this morning that God loves you, but to think of God as this wizened old grandpa is misunderstanding. When we encounter God, it has an effect on us, doesn't it? We're not laughing and wanting to slap God on the back. I think we're more like Moses. He was overwhelmed by this experience. Now, God's revelation to Moses and his revelation to us is connected to a particular purpose that God has. And we see the purpose he had for Moses. We know what it is. At verse 9, it begins. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Now, don't miss this. God hears the prayers of his people. Are we praying? Do we understand the predicament that we're in in our culture? Increasing immorality. You know, I don't know if some of us in this room thought that one political party or the other was going to solve problems. And all we see now is two parties that hate each other and won't work together for anything. Do we, do we understand that God is able but might be waiting on us to cry out? How much time are you spending asking God to intervene? Maybe a situation in your family. Certainly could be a situation at work, in this community, certainly this world. Are we crying out? Because God said, I've heard my, people cry, I've heard my people's cries and I'm about to do something about it. But Moses doubted his ability. He, he didn't think he was capable of carrying out such a task. And so in verse 11, he protested to God. Well, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? That's interesting, isn't it? Here's, here's Moses, because Moses used to live in the family of the Pharaoh. And yet, he's now humiliated. He's fled. It's been years And he's even scared to go back. These are people he knows. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And how did God answer? I will be with you. How much does that mean to you? I will be with you. Still Moses hesitated. Still he was intimidated. At verse 13. But Moses protested. Again, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, then what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. God identified himself here. Now, what does this mean? It's a little confusing. Why would you call yourself I am? Because it means that he was the ever present. In other words, I am, but he always was. He is today. He always will be. He's self-existent. He depends on no one for anything. He alone is the eternal one. 
And so by him saying also, I am, he was saying that he was sufficient for Moses. He was able to provide everything to fulfill anything he calls anyone to. And that means you as well, but also Moses. See, our relationship with God, which began with an initial encounter, it grows and it deepens by experience. You know, if you were born again at 10, but you really haven't progressed, I would say, are you experiencing God? It, are changes happening in you and then through you? Because the change grows as we deepen our relationship with God by experience as God reveals himself and his purposes and his ways through subsequent encounters with him. I love this verse, Psalm 103. God revealed his character to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. I prefer the NIV translation, which says God revealed his, you know, his ways. God revealed his ways. See, people that know the deeds don't know God. You can know someone's actions and not know the person. But when you know their ways, that means you understand something deeper about them. You know how they'll respond. You'll know their preferences. Leanne and I went to buy a refrigerator yesterday. I have this refrigerator in my laundry room that doesn't work. The, the, the freezer portion won't seal. And so ice, you know, keeps forming and it sticks out into the room. It's awful. So me being the brilliant engineer that I am, I took an umbrella and I crammed it in there and shut that thing up. Now, the problem is you can't get anything out of it, but it's sealed. So we went looking for refrigerators. And man, we were at Lowe's and we were at Home Depot. We were at Costco. I didn't go to Costco. I was worn out. I was refrigerator worn out, but she went. And so we were leaving Lowe's and Leanne's goes, did you notice what I like? <laughs> you like those drawers with the chrome on them. That's right. But did you notice what I really liked? Um, well, the chrome, you like a lot of chrome. But which one? And then it hit me, you know. There's one that has chrome all on the back of the refrigerator. Do you know that? You look into, well, you wouldn't know. But it, you look into the refrigerator and there's chrome on the back wall of it. And I said, well... I didn't say that because, you know, I'm thinking that one was too expensive. We don't want to spend that much. You put a jug of milk in front of me, you can't see it anyway. <laughs> and she said, well, no, we wouldn't have bought it. But I want to know if you know what I like. <laughs> That's talking about knowing somebody's ways. You see what I'm saying? Not just having information, not just having a few facts, knowing who they are. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We can know God that way. 
Because Moses, see, this, this passage out of Psalms actually comes from Exodus 33. And Moses said, okay, you've shown everybody your deeds. I want, I want to know your ways so I can continue to walk with you. Knowing God's deeds helps somewhat, but not like knowing his ways. Not like knowing who he is. Not like being able to anticipate his preference in every situation. You see the difference? Whenever God reveals himself, his nature in a new way, it's always for a purpose too. God teaches us himself, reveals himself around situations. Have you noticed that? We want our life to always be smooth. You're not going to know God in always smooth circumstances. You're going to know God when the wind is blowing and the wave is rising and the house might fall over. You have to see people in different circumstances to know them, don't you? I went to see the Paw Patrol yesterday. With Brooks. So it was Brooks and Leanne and me and Aubrey at the Paw Patrol. I didn't care much about the Paw Patrol. I know rubble, sky, I know, yeah. But you know what I cared about? I cared about seeing a little two and a half year old when he related to the Paw Patrol. Because I learned something more about this little boy that I love so much. And I saw him in a different place. You get me? But I, don't tell my wife. I don't know where she is, but don't tell her this. She got her mitts on him. And she would never let him, me have him, by the way. But that's what I learned about her way. Don't let her get at Brooks first. But do you know God by experience? You hear me? I'm not talking about a few facts. Do you know God by experience and if so has he revealed a purpose for you a God-centered life reflects love from and for God first John 4 we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them and then this verse, we love each other because he loved us first. That's a bad translation. It's actually, we love because he loved us first, not each other. We love. The presence of love in your life comes from God. God's purpose is not merely to save us. Sometimes we, we've concocted this theology that says God wants to save us. That's not God's motivation. Or God wants to to make us obey. Some of us think that. He's got the stick. That's not God's motivation either. God's motivation is to invite us into an ongoing love relationship with him. 1 John 4 and 1 John 6, 4, 16, verse 8 and verse 16, both say God is love. It doesn't mean that God sometimes shows love to us. It means that love is God's essential nature. And because it's his nature, it's who he is, he will never act contrary to that toward us. 
And this is really love. Love is doing for someone what that person needs most. You know, sometimes we have children in rebellion and we can't say no. But that's not love. That's actually codependence. Because love is self-denying for the good of another. And God's love for us is always controlled by his love. So he can never give you anything than what's best. Now that's best is not by your definition. It's by whose definition? It's by his. It's by his. He can do no other. Now some of us, and it may be some of you here today, may doubt God's love at times of disappointment and hardship and suffering The relationship broke up with the girlfriend. I didn't get the job. I didn't get the promotion. God doesn't care. But we have to learn to view our circumstances against the backdrop of the cross, which is when God proved his unlimited sacrificing, self-sacrificing love for us. God was so willing to sacrifice himself as a spirit, he couldn't die for us. So what happened? So he offered a son made in human flesh who could die for us. We choose to trust God because we know he loves us. And we believe that in time, we will understand the confusing painful circumstances we're experiencing and some of you are there right now do you believe God loves you I'm going home but I'm not dismissing y'all I'm gonna go have to lay down do you believe God loves you because it's essential that you know that to be able to live a life of peace and joy. You know what? None of us have completely easy lives. Some of us apparently outwardly have more difficult lives than others, but everybody has struggles because God intentionally sends them to grow us and to increase dependence. And people who are unhappy all the time, people who are dissatisfied with their lives, don't truly believe that God loves them. So they doubt that God is guiding their lives through his love. If you're complaining, don't raise your hand and don't point. If you're complaining about your situation, you don't believe God loves you. And is bound to you by love. Is that fair? What you believe about God's love will always be reflected in how you relate to him. Do you doubt, fear, mistrust, or resent God? If you do, that's a love problem. Because you see, we don't, we're not looking at God. Where are we looking? Right here at self, right here at this world. But when we know God's love by experience, we will be able to trust him. 
And when we trust him, guess what we'll do? What'd you say? We'll grow, but we'll obey. We'll obey. See, when we struggle to obey God, it means we don't trust him. You hear? Y'all better slow down a minute. If you struggle to obey God, you do not trust him. And you won't trust him if you don't love him. And you won't love him if you don't know him. So if you see disobedience in your life, you got a love problem at its core. You agree with that? Put simply, if you love God, you will obey him. If you don't obey him, you don't love him, regardless of what you claim. Lip service is easy. But you know what? Through the, I've been here so many years. I've had lots of spouses talk about how they loved their spouse when they committed adultery. When we love, we don't injure. When we love, we desire to please. 1 John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping his commandments. But here's the key. And his commandments are not burdensome. If I resent my wife and something she wants me to do, that's a love problem. You see it? It's a love problem. If we love God, his commands aren't burdensome. They're not difficult. Have you experienced God's love for you? That all you got? Do you love God in return? Does it show in your life? A God-centered life remains with Christ to accomplish his purposes. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. Do you know that? See, if you believe you're second rate, not as smart, not as pretty, not as this, not as that, you don't trust God. You don't trust that God formed you perfectly for his purpose for your life. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. But understand, these good things are not tasks that God intended for us to do for him. They're assignments that he wants us to accomplish with him. And as we do, we experience his nature in new and different ways. Should we ask, what is God's will for my life? Have you asked, what is God's will for my life? Is that a good question? No. It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Sounds good, sounds spiritual. It's self-centered. What is God's will for? As though the whole world revolves around me, including God. So God, what is about me? A different question, and even though it may sound slight, is very significant. 
not what is God's will for my life, but what is God's will? What is God's will? Because he's central and we accommodate ourselves to him. See the difference? We adjust our lives to his purpose. See, our focus needs to be outward on God and his purpose, not inward on our lives. How much more joyous and satisfied would your life be if you, spent your, if, you, if you put your focus on what God wanted you to accomplish instead of what you thought you needed? Did you know you can't be miserable unless you're looking in the mirror? God invites us to take part in what he is doing in this world. So we accommodate ourselves to his plan, what he's doing, instead of trying to persuade him to bless our plans. John 15, 5 says, y'all know this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But see, but what that verse really means is, yes, I want you to accomplish something, but you can't accomplish it unless you're in close relationship with me. That's what it means. And when we remain closely connected to Christ, when we follow after him, then we'll be amazed at what God accomplishes through us. You know, sometimes people or even churches get so busy carrying out their plans to achieve God's purpose without ever asking God what he wants. You know, about goodness, six, seven years ago, Roland Bergeron was drilling water wells in India and he discovered how many children were imprisoned in a slate quarry. He came back, talked to Fenton Moorhead, who was our missions pastor, asked us to be involved to, you know, that there was a way that this pastor over there could could have these children, he could, he could facilitate these children being freed, but they didn't have anywhere to go. They were abused sexually, physically. They lived in this hole until they died, essentially. And so he said, how about Brookwood doing it? Now, we were running a six-point, I don't know, two or three budget. And we didn't make the number that we had. And to build a, a facility for these kids was, go, was going to mean adding more than $1 million per year to a budget we didn't make. Now, when this came up, oh, that sounds great, didn't it? And I thought, well, that'll bankrupt our church. Because if we pour this much out of our budget, and if people, they'll like that better than keeping the lights on, all that money will divert, we could end up not being able to even pay our bills. So I said, folks, we, we can't do this unless we know this is God. So the advisory team, which is the trustees and the lead pastors, we actually went off to a weekend of retreat because there weren't many of us that were sure God would talk to us. You know what I'm talking about? We weren't sure God would really talk. So I was, I was intimidated too. But I said, we can't do this unless God says do it. So we went off to Ridgecrest in North Carolina. And we actually spent the weekend just learning, actually confirming that God will speak when we ask. 
But a lot of us were hesitant. A lot of us were resistant. Jerry was looking for somewhere to hide or an excuse not to go. But God spoke to us. And then we came back and we told all the group, now you go and you pray and you hear from God, do we do this? And we're not doing it unless every person comes back and says, God said go. That's what we got. That year we took this bold step. We added more than a million dollars to our budget and we actually achieved it. Now, God hasn't let us off. I'm afraid our intensity in that issue is lessening. So I ask you to pray, God, do you want me involved in this? But see, we can't can't take on even good things unless God says do it. And when we do things, even good things for God in our own strength, that's what results in burnout. That's what results in growing bored with the good work. That's what really causes nothing to be accomplished. See, our love relationship with God has to come first. And then out of that love relationship, he accomplishes his plan for the community and the world through us. Some of us think God gave me a life plan. I don't believe God gives you a life plan and then abandons you to do it. Rather, God calls us to a daily walk with him. And he gives new assignments. And usually they're small. But he wants to see you do this. Are you going to do it? Or you just got a little too much of yourself to take care of first. Might take some time. Might take some money. Might take some caring. He's going to give you an assignment. And then he'll give you this one. And then this one. And then this one. And then this one. It's usually not going to be this one first. But are we listening Because if we just ignore it because it's inconvenient, he'll just move it to someone else. Because he's going to do what he's going to do in this world. Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So you know what, that thing that God has told you, that you thought, I can't do this. I can't reconcile this relationship. I I can't accomplish this task. No, you can't. God can. God can. Will you start asking each day, God, what do you want me to do today? Who will do that? Now, let me ask you, let's start. Buy a workbook. I mean, I implore you. I don't think the workbook fixes all this, but you know what it does? It puts your attention on God for eight weeks. The first lesson will be this week. You just do, there's a couple of pages that are intro, then start reading daily. There's five daily lessons. It's just putting you in a place to pay attention to God so he can work in your life. The workbooks are for sale. Get in a group. Brochures are at the information desk. You can do it online, brookwoodchurch.org, small groups, or you can email small groups at Brookwood Church. We pray at 815 next Sunday. I urge as many of you as will, please come. Counselors, you come to the front. Counselors are here to pray with you, to anoint you with oil for healing, to discuss any question you have. Father, thank you for this word. Don't leave us alone, Lord. By your spirit, let us experience you and be changed. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming. 
Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do this is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Feel free to email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website and on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.